Leadership starts with the ability and self-awareness to positively lead ourselves, right? And so anytime you can work on your inner growth, it is going to really accelerate your outer growth, your outer success. How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. Got a special guest on the show today. We met virtually uh, via LinkedIn probably a year and a half, maybe two years ago. Her name is Leslie Calvin. She is located up in Canada and has a business that focuses on leadership development, coaching executives, and managing your emotional energy. She does life coaching. And I've actually had a few members of my team work with her in her workshops and masterminds over the years. Finally, we're able to get our schedules to sync up. And so, Leslie, welcome to The Way of the Wolf. Thank you so much, Sean. It's, uh, it's wonderful. We have been plotting to do this for what feels like a few years now. So I'm really glad that uh, finally the universe aligned and here we are. I know. I'm so pumped. Okay, let's dive right in. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Before we get into what you do today, can you share a little bit about your background and who you are and how how you found yourself doing this? Absolutely. So um, like most really um, full and fulsome careers, it was definitely not a straight path. So everyone out there who's thinking, I'm not on a straight path, 100% that was me. Um, I, uh, I started my undergraduate degree, um, in doing a double major with history and international development. So for the first sort of chunk of my life and of my career, I was really focused on, um, an, an international platform, uh, which, uh, you know, helped me. I was a traveling Wilbury. Uh, and so the first half of my career, I, uh, developed, um, a program called, um, Young Professionals Going Global. And so graduates of colleges or universities who were going overseas to do um, funded internships, they would go through my uh, program that I, and it was so it was three weeks in full time. And so I worked uh, and those were domestic students. So those would have been Canadian students going on international placements. And then as I moved um, up in my organization, I worked in a large organization, I really wanted to work with the whole organization. So I started working in a more centralized area. And, and that's when I really started moving up the ladder um, into uh, more senior leadership roles. Uh, I just loved working with people, right? I love working with organizations. I love the organizational management, building culture, building teams, um, and just having that sort of strategic the, that strategic vision. Um, but then also seeing where the people, the individuals within my teams could bring that, their chunk of it to life. So um, I went and did my master's of organizational leadership um, along the way. And that really helped kind of bolster my, my passion for leadership and organizational development. And then I did my, um, my coaching designation. So I am a certified professional coach. And um, at this stage, I'm now within the ICF, the International Coaching Federation at the, um, the PCC level. So it's um, ICF, then ACC, then PCC, then the top one MCC. So I'm at the PCC level. And that really is an, an indicator of uh, hundreds and hundreds, I think like somewhere between 500 plus um, hours, coaching hours or a thousand or something. I can't even remember what it is. Um, so long story long, uh, once I was moving up, as anyone knows, when they move up in an organization, you tend to get a lot less time with um, the individual growth on your team, and it's more that wide, widespread growth. And uh, I found that really missing. So um, I took the big step. It's almost about four, it's just shy of five years now to step out on my own, leave the organizational setting and uh, start life as an entrepreneur. Um, and so that's where Positive Forward Motion was born, where I do um, life leadership and organizational coaching at training, keynote speaking. Okay. Lot to unpack there. Lot to unpack. With, <laughs> let's start with you working for a large organization and then climbing yourself up or climbing your way up that corporate ladder into more and more senior leadership roles. And I made a note here. I think I don't want to butcher this. Uh, let's see. 
focusing a lot on, on building culture and teams and that strategic vision. Now, my question for you is, do you feel that it is common for a lot of large organizations to incorporate leadership development into their strategic vision? <laughs> that is the golden question. So, and thank you for asking it because I think that is something that really needs to bubble to the top. Um, from what I can see from the inside of organizations that I've worked for is uh, sometimes and for some folks, um, from the the beautiful, I was just having this conversation with a, a peer the other day, the beautiful thing about the role that I play now is I get invited into people's worlds and I get invited into organizational team world. And so generally I get invited sort of on two two prongs. One, and somebody will want to start coaching because they want to be better, expand, learn more, uh, grow to be better for their organization to move up. Like, or they want to grow and develop to move out. So the organizations where people want to move up, um, those tend to be the organizations that invest in their people, in their leadership development, in their uh, professional development, you know, more than just the lip service. Uh, people who want to expand so they can move out are generally looking for um, somewhere with a culture that would embrace that. So I'm not sure if that's a non-answer, but it's really, it, it really is the sum really do and organizations that do, there is payoff. Right, and organizations that don't, um, I do believe um, probably have to pay some sort of um, opportunity cost for that. Do you come across many organizations that do both? And and let me let me actually elaborate on that just a little bit. One of the things that I've come to realize over the years is is the value of investing in your people. You want to build them up, help them grow help them be successful because ultimately they're going to help your organization or business or team be successful. But also you want them to have the opportunity to grow. And if they choose to go do that somewhere else, okay, that's great. I've always, not always. Okay. I have in probably the past five to seven years started to lean into this philosophy of, Hey, I'm, I'm going to invest time and energy in building you up because I want to see you be successful. And if there is alignment in that person's path and, and career progression and through the seasons of their lives with the needs of the organization, that's fantastic. That's amazing. But if those paths start to diverge, that's okay too, because ultimately I want Leslie to be successful. I want Sally to be successful. And if we can achieve that success together, that's great. If not, that's also great. So do you see many leaders or businesses that have a similar philosophy or is it kind of like what you just touched on where, Hey, we're going to invest in you. We're going to build you. And if they end up leaving, they get kind of salty and pissed off and frustrated about it. Um, I, there would be, see, the beautiful thing about the position I'm in is is that people seek me out, organizations seek me out. So the ones who do are generally pretty progressive about wanting to grow their people. So I'm in a unique position that way. Um, I can say that in my old world, so when I was in the my uh, old company, um, I have the same philosophy as you. Like I. I want to just grow my people. I want them to be sort of tailored to the roles that they get to work on that maximizes their skills and minimizes their gaps. Not that we can all work like just in our skills and never in our gaps, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but, um, but really, so if you have somebody who's super creative and strategic and innovative, you know, trying to keep as much of the minutia of details and um, check boxes off their desk and vice versa somebody who's really just like lights up like a like a like a light bulb when they get to organize and structure right you so you want to do that I used to say to um, many on my team over the years is I know I'll be successful when one of you is my boss right because just really empowering them to just grow right and if, if a job came up it was exhausting right because you're constantly training but 
you know, if, if that's the worst thing that's exhausting you in those roles is training new high potentials. <laughs> so, you know, if they move off, um, sometimes, depending on how that was executed, sometimes it went really smoothly and wonderfully. Sometimes it was kind of a rough landing, right? But I would say more over, more over than not, it was something that I wanted to just kind of like rinse and repeat that model of how can we grow? I think there's a great quote um, and I'm, I'm, who it is is escaping me and you probably know it, but it's, you know, what happens if we train them and they leave? And then the converse of that is, well, what happens if you don't and they stay? Right. So from an optimistic, I'm a shameless um, optimist from an optimistic perspective. Um, you want to train the heck out of them so that they're empowered to be like the maximum they can be. Um, and then if they stay fabulous. Right. But like I said, the converse of that is what if you don't and they don't and they do stay. <laughs> yeah. And in, in my experience, when you invest in your people and build them and train them and coach them and mentor them and give them opportunities to create their own success, you're empowering them to be successful. They stick around. There have been very, very few that man, actually, as I'm thinking back now, the people that that I have in, in the various teams that I'm fortunate to lead today, there's very few people that actually voluntarily term because there is that opportunity for career progression and growth. And they see that we're investing in people and helping them be successful. Even whenever there's all sorts of challenges and turmoil in the organization, our core team, because we invest so much into them, they want to stick around and they want to give everything to the team and their leaders because they know that their leaders are looking out for them. Yeah. And that's what you want, right? So when I do uh, leadership or executive training, it's really, so we want that, that transformational growth. We want to be those transformational leaders that are really making an impact on people's lives and are helping them to be seen and, and create a psychological safety so that when your folks show up for work, they they, they know they're safe. They know they can take those risks and they're going to get caught, right? They know they're encouraged to be innovative. They know that they are celebrated when they have those accomplishments. And that's great. And again, like I said, I'm a shameless idealist or a shameless um, optimist, and that's very idealistic. But the flip side of that, the business side of that is those people are increasing your results, <laughs> because that's how they feel, right? So it's not, you know, people are like, but we have to focus on the widget moving the widget, like, yes, but if you focus on the people moving the widget, they may move more widgets, right? As an, as a metaphor. So it's really, there's two sides. It's taking care of growing your leadership acumen so that you can be the best leader to foster that environment and that culture around you to get the most results, right? So it's kind of this, when it works, it's a beautiful thing. And when it doesn't work, it's a, Schmozzle. <laughs> That's a technical term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've read about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's talk about building leaders that maybe don't know that they want to be leaders, but someone higher up sees that potential in them. I've encountered a few of those in, in my career, and I can actually think of our vice president of IT and vividly recall the, the years where I, I spent trying to coerce him into a leadership role, but he was very hesitant. No, 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 I'm an engineer. I'm not a leader. And he's turned out to be one of the strongest leaders in the entire corporation. Now it's taken him a few years to get there, which I want to circle back to the time it takes to build strong leaders. Do you often come across people that have the potential to be incredible leaders, but are afraid to do so or they're they're not ready or they don't think that that's something that they want and how do you work through that, that so that's an interesting one i don't know how much i would work with people who don't want to be leaders i would say though that sometimes people show natural leadership um, ability or competency but don't see themselves as leaders right so it's not that they wouldn't want to be but they may be like, well, I'm not a leader. Either I don't have enough experience or I don't know enough or I'm too young or I'm too old or or whatever the sort of that 
in whatever the outer block is that they're putting in front of themselves. Um, but not that they not I wouldn't work so much with people who didn't want to be right. And so um, so when I come across when I'm working with people who have either they're maybe they're in a high potential in a leadership or pre leadership program or um, and then they'll say I'll say, well, put your hand up your fear a leader and they'll kind of be like, right, because they they're like, well, somebody told me I was and I'm in this course, but I'm not really because I don't have that title. That's really when, you know, one of my main focuses, and this was way back from um, doing my graduate work, um, and my thesis was all on leadership at all levels and the role of influential power in um, leadership and in, in organizations, and starting with the leadership of self, right? That's where it all starts. So leadership of self, then leading from the middle, or leading by example, or whatever you, you call it from leading by influence, the middle piece. Um, and then the top is obviously the positional in it when you have leadership authority. Um, but really folks understanding leading, leading leadership of self and leading by from the middle or leading by influence, um, those, are those are super powerful, right? Because even if you have positional authority, you really want the first two to be doing the bulk of the, the work with your people instead of the, don't you know who I think I am, <laughs> of the positional authority. So I don't think I really asked, answered your question there, but I don't know if I ha would have that much experience working with people who actually didn't want to go into leadership. But I'm interested to hear your story about that. Well, I don't know if it was he, he didn't want to as much as he was afraid to. And the, this, yeah, this gentleman, I'd worked with him for probably five or so years at this point in time at a few different companies. And it was kind of a, hey, you're, you're the strongest engineer. You exhibit these leadership traits. People naturally have a tendency to listen and follow you. You're not in a leadership role, but people look up to you because you are an expert, because you, you're, you're kind and you work with them and you help them. Let's put you in a leadership. Let's let's put you in a manager role. Oh no, no, I've never been a manager. I've never managed people. No, I don't, I don't want to do that type of a thing. And at the time, he was working for a consulting business. I ended up after a period of about six to seven months, kind of coercing him over and hiring him as a manager but he was still a little bit timid a little bit unsure and it was it took time to be able to coach him and mentor him and work with him to build him up to really i guess build his confidence is what it came down to and then over time he just continued to progress and grow in the organization and now he's our vice president of it and just a phenomenally strong leader but whenever he and I talk about the topic of leadership, I'll still recall back six years ago whenever he and I were having those conversations, trying to me trying to convince him. And now it's like the best thing that, he, that he's ever done. He truly loves building the people on his team. And the people on his team truly love and appreciate and value him for everything that he does for them. The thing about leadership development and, and management skills is, and I say this in my trainings, when I'm working with either new leaders or emerging leaders, and sometimes even established right leaders and managers, is it is one of the only jobs in the world that you're hired into and given zero training, right? You could be a subject matter expert and, uh, and be put like sort of what you're talking about, except by the sounds of it, your uh, your folks have a lot of of hands-on growth, like growth and de development um, from yourself, but. I, I remember when I moved into management, my first role, and I had a master's degree in organizational leadership. And I remember thinking at the time, how does anyone do this without a master's in it, right? And then, um, and then, so the things that I would pick up along the way, having been in informal or supervisory leadership all of my career up into them, but without the title of manager, but sort of like coordinator or project manager type thing. Um, and so one of the courses that I deliver is, is on the foundations of leadership and management. And it's really building the skill sets around how do you, when someone says you have to have that difficult conversation, okay, great, Leslie, how? <laughs> right? And so it goes through templates of that and, you know, different, um, different hardcore elements that you have to do when you manage, because 
you, there isn't a lot of training on it. Even sometimes when I'm doing leadership training, it's up here right? Like I was talking about that, it's that transformational or emotional intelligence, right? Which would be my niche area. But sometimes people just need to know the meat and potatoes of like, okay, but how do I manage people? I've been an engineer or I've done this, but I don't know what, I don't know what to do in a day, right? How do I frame my time? How do, when do I meet with people? The really pragmatic things. And so I actually developed a course and, and it's simply everything I wish I knew going into management, right? Because, we need like we need that because that's what helps build that first layer, the foundational layer of confidence. Then you can go in and start expanding your leadership wings of who you're going to grow into to be that magical butterfly of a leader for people, right? But that that's a process. Yeah, that's that's a great point, and it comes down to getting the reps in. And a lot of times people don't know how to get the reps in, or they don't have the opportunity to get the reps in. And and now I'm kind of thinking back to an instance, a new manager stepped into a role and unfortunately he ended up having to let go of a handful of people on one of his teams. And he had just stepped into this manager role. I happened to be out there at the district, was chatting with him and he's like, hey, what do I do here? So I talked him through a few pointers and I sat in and I watched him have the conversation with the first one. Now, because I'm also leading human resources, it wasn't awkward for me to sit in, had the conversation and he struggled and fumbled a little bit. And I just kind of let it all ride and let the employee go on out the door and we got them all taken care of. And I was immediately able to come back and say, Hey, here are some things that I noticed. Maybe try this, maybe try this, stay away from that. And, and let's try this next employee. And he actually did quite a bit better. And after that conversation was finished, there was two more employees that we had to work through. And each time I was able to kind of give him some guidance and feedback. And each time he started getting a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more confident. And obviously it's, never easy to let people go. But if you are able to get the experience and get the reps in, and you're able to deliver that very unfortunate message with kindness and candor, it it is usually more well received by the person who is getting that horrible news. And, and as leaders, that's what we want to try to do. And the thing is, Sean, you spent the time doing the leadership development you did the coaching and you did the feedback and then he was able to apply it, right? So he was able to skill build, right? It's, it's amazing. And like I said, it's, you know, when you start, when you're, when you're starting to leadership and all of a sudden you're managing budgets, generally you get like financial, some financial training, right? Because now you're taking care, but you, so you should get it in the, the soft stuff too, which isn't soft, but that's the term I'm going to, I'm not going to start splitting hairs and we'd be here for three weeks, but um, we'll just call it the soft skills. Um, that if people need, how do you have that crucial conversation? How do you deescalate conflict? How do you empower? How And then, and then my, like my sweet spot that I love too is as a leader, where are all of your hot buttons? Where are all of your, where's your emotional dynamite that's going to get in your way of being, again, this mystical, magical butterfly of a leader that we all want to be? Okay, you touched on something, soft skills. I'm thinking back to a panel that I was sitting on last year where we were talking about leaders investing in their people and investing in building their leaders and the importance of hard skills versus soft skills. And whenever they ask my opinion on it, I, I shared that I feel like soft skills now are like superpowers, kindness and empathy and candor. If you're a leader that can come to the table with those soft skills, you will likely be successful. It doesn't take a lot of energy to just treat someone the way you want to be treated. And, and I think a lot of leaders find themselves in a leadership position by default because they were the best engineer or they were the hardest worker in the room. And circling back to what you touched on earlier, leadership skills are not really taught all that much. It's expected that, hey, you were the best engineer. Now you can lead 20 engineers. Well, no, not without learning the skills necessary to lead those 20 engineers. 
Even if you, um, even if you think about, you know, okay, so what do I like as a preference? You know, am I, do I, am I comfortable with conflict? And am I some, am I an extrovert who likes to discuss things? Right? Well, somebody that I'm leading could be very uncomfortable with conflict. They may have a preference for introversion and really like to know what you're going to discuss in advance and prepare for it. Right? As a leader, you even have to understand these concepts exist. Because <laughs> if you show up and you just think everybody, and believe me, I've made all these mistakes <laughs> along the way in my career as a leader. Um, uh, but starting to really understand who you are as an individual, like the leadership of self makes you understand, oh, okay, so if I appreciate this, I can now start to s sort of recognize it in the people around me, what they appreciate or don't appreciate. Now I can understand that individualization of how to make, how to make them the best that they can be because it could be different than this person and it could be different from me. One of the turning points for me in my career as a leader was understanding behavioral assessments. This could be DISC or Berkman or TTI or Hogan or on and on and on. But once you understand conceptually that there are different personality types, it's, it changes your world. It's huge. The next step is obviously understanding yourself, but then understanding every person on your team and how to effectively communicate with them and how to effectively lead them. And I think some leaders struggle, whether it's ego or, or whatever the reason was saying, okay, well, I'm going to, I need my team to do this. They all just need to fall in line. Okay. Well, again, Jason and Sally and John and Todd, they all need to be led different ways. And as a leader, it's your responsibility to understand how to lead all of them. Yeah. And I, I think it's, um, I mean, it could be ego, for some, it could be, you know, power for others. I do have, um, I do have a, a belief that it is the unknown, the unconscious, right? That people don't even necessarily know it exists out there, right? Because they're, we're in our, we, we tend to exist in our own world, right? Until, you know, until we pull back the blinders and say, oh, wait a minute. So um, I do, I 100% wholeheartedly agree with you in the, um, the behavioral assessments. Because, uh, and I think that not only from a workplace, I think every, like, before you get married, you should have to take them too. <laughs> My husband and I are on complete opposite sides of almost every be um, assessment. And so we have, you know, we're almost 24 years in now, but we had to learn how to speak a common language because we came at everything. Now we can leverage it most of the time. We can leverage it um, to our benefit. But when we're, when our buttons are pressed, just like in the workplace, when your buttons are pressed and like you're a little bit amped up, that's when our, we start to over demonstrate our preferences and under demonstrate empathy or concern for others, even when we are trying to be our best, right? So um, one of the programs, one my proprietary program, the positive forward motion in the fast lane, it's all really exactly about what you were just talking about there is understanding all the different preferences when we're fast lane is uh, frustrated at making assumptions, stressed or triggered, because these are the things, these are the big, huge speed bumps that get in our way to success personally and professionally. Right. But when we're in a leadership position, your responsibility is amplified, right? You are responsible to your organization and you're responsible to your people. So you have to do the inner work, right. For your outer success. You have to make sure you're understanding yourself, your hot buttons, your triggers, your all the fast lane um, uh, situations that get, get us all amped up because you have a responsibility that's greater than just as an individual contributor showing up and doing your job. Everyone has a responsibility, but our, uh, the impact um, positive and, and potentially challenging as a leader is, uh, is doubled. Yeah, you just touched something. I'm probably going to have to make a clip of that because as leaders, our responsibility is to our people. And it is very like servant leadership is so crucial to be able to build high performing and successful teams. So, okay. <clears throat> I'll say we've talked about behavioral assessments. 
a little bit about self-awareness. I would like to dive into toxic workplaces and how to overcome toxic work cultures. You work with a lot of people at all levels in an organization. And one of the things that I've seen is it, it, it appears to me that in toxic work cultures, it seems to be that the middle and lower tiers that, that struggle the most. Maybe you have C-suite executives or senior leaders that just have this, this rule with an iron fist approach. And then there's all this backstabbing and politicking and all of this stuff that goes on. And then you have this middle tier in the organization that is that is full of people that pour their heart and soul into everything that they do in their teams but they're just surrounded with this toxic environment how do they overcome that oh if <laughs> i had the golden ticket answer to that mr sean barnes i would be far too rich to be on this podcast with you right now <laughs> I'd be in the islands living my life. No, totally, totally kidding there. There's a few, um, there's a few things, few steps that I think are really sort of really critical to understand. So within a toxic environment, there are definitely people who know who it is, what's happening and are doing nothing about it. Right. So, but that's not everyone. So, in some in some environments that I work in, it's pockets. So an organization, I may work with leaders and teams in one area and they're like, this is the best place in the world to work. And I can work in leaders and teams in the other area and say, this is the worst place to work. Um, so it's not always pervasive across the organization. Um, it is It is the role of senior leadership. So the uppity ups need to be paying attention. Right. Because it talks, talks. What is it? Who is it? Uh, Gary V. You know, cancer spreads when you find the toxic person, cut them out. Um, you know, as somebody who's fundamentally in, believes in the growth and development of individuals, I'm like, mm, I, I, I can see where that where you want to get there. But do we have an opportunity for leadership coaching, growth and development, anything in there that can help that person gain the skills? A lot of times with toxic environments. It is either folks who have moved up too fast and don't have the management experience, exactly what we've been talking about, don't have the leadership development experience, so they don't have the necessary skills to be the leader or manager of the team or unit, So they may, but they're subject matter experts. So they probably want to still keep their hands on the keyboard, do the work. So now they're in everybody's business. They're in the minutiae, right? So already you can see. Or another thing that I see um, quite a bit is somebody on the team is toxic and the manager won't address it, right? And it could be they have discomfort with um, conflict. It could be that somebody's saying you have to have that critical conversation, but they've never done skill development. So there's a skill gap in that area. So again, those really pragmatic skills that managers slash leaders really need. Um, so these are some of the areas. How do you... Um, how do you, how do I, so in my business, I do a lot of emotional energy and emotional intelligence training with teams, organizations. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a few assessments, key assessments that I use as well. And so you had touched on the emotion, the uh, self-awareness piece. And I think in going through trainings, um, people need to, they need their light bulb to come on. They need to be, to open their blinders and say, oh, I had a woman this was in a workshop probably four years ago, and she was, she was the toxin in in this environment. Everyone kind of knew it. She didn't. She was in a bit of a, um, uh, definitely in a blind spot around it. Uh, she had so many amazing skills and was a wonderful person, but entered the workplace and then didn't bring her best self. Um, and in the workshop, as we were going through the characteristics of each of these these areas within this one. Uh, framework that I use she was like she threw her hand up and she said oh my goodness that's me well I think everyone in the room almost fell right out of their chairs right and so it was a huge epiphany for her I would love to say that happens every workshop <laughs> but most people over the course of self-awareness and really doing their inner work 
can say, oh, I can see. I can see when my buttons are being pressed. I can see when I go into the fast lane and, and how I'm showing up in that moment, right? So that's something that I think is super important. It all starts with, with self-awareness. I was doing a workshop a couple of weeks ago and understanding the seven levels of energy in your, um, in yourself and in your organization. And as we were, as the people were leaving the workshop and they were just such a great group, but the woman from HR who had brought me in and I was standing there and one of the participants, so the woman from HR had just come in to make sure that I could, you know, help, help me pack up if I needed. Uh, she hadn't been there the whole time. And one of the attendees who I don't think knew who she was, she said, Leslie, it should be mandatory that everyone in this organization does this training. And I was like, well, you have said that to the right person. <laughs> uh, she said, she said, I learned so much. And in, in, in a way that was like awareness, not shaming or guilt, right? Which is kind of the key because you want to bring people along in their own growth and development, not hammer them with it. I do anyways. You know, it's actually interesting that you say that. I have a, a friend of mine who is a retired Navy SEAL Master Chief, and he and I have two very different approaches to leadership development. As you might imagine, I don't have any sort of a military background. His style is to come in with a sledgehammer across the face, like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous, and just beat somebody down. Mine is a little bit more like a surgeon with a scalpel coming in, identifying what's going on, working through it, working around the issues, having those crucial conversations to get somebody there. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of leaders knowing how to lead the individual people on their team and being able to adapt to the different people on their team. Some leaders struggle with that. They're like, why should I adapt? I'm the one who's in charge. <laughs> okay, well, it's not you being in charge, it's you leading and empowering your team and making sure that they are successful. It kind of comes down to, do you want to be right or do you want to be successful, right? So when, when we go back to you know leadership and results, it, if you want to be right, that's great, but you're not going to be a, the leader that they need and you're likely not going to hit the results that you need. So congratulations on being right, <laughs> right? But do you want to be successful? Now, oftentimes leaders, and especially if they're frustrated with someone, right? If someone's not producing or if they're having a challenging employee or, or something, um, and they'll say, what, so am I supposed to just be, you know, if we're talking about empathy and emotional intelligence and being emotionally effective and uh, creating psychological safety and, and all of these things that are so, so important, they'll say, well, am I supposed to just let behaviors go? Absolutely not. You manage them and lead them exactly how you need to, because at the end of the day, you have to hit the results, but you do it in a personal way, right? So if there's, if they, you can have those conversations with empathy, empathy, and you can coach growth and development, right? You can coach up or out, right? But you can still have, you can still do it in a way that is respectful and emotionally intelligent and, um, you know, not as would you say the sledgehammer type thing. So you, it's not that to be that type of leader, an emotionally effective leader, doesn't mean that you have to. You're just going to let people get away with things. No, that's a hands-off leader. That's an avoidance leader. You do not want that. <laughs> that leads to the toxic environment, <laughs> right? You want to be right in there, having conversations, call, clear, being an active listener having transparent conversations on what the boundaries are, right? Setting team norms, what is acceptable, what isn't ex is acceptable, having them and, and really being upfront and open about, about that. Because you can do that in a really kind and empathetic way where everyone knows, then you're hitting the results, but you're also treating people like people. Yeah. I want to talk about accountability. This is something that I see a lot of friends and family and just colleagues struggling with working at an organization where accountability just doesn't seem to exist. And there could be a myriad of reasons as to why the leader or leadership isn't keeping their teams accountable. One of the things that I've started to try to focus on in terms of coaching people through these challenging times is you don't have to have that manager title to start building group accountability. 
You've got to have relationships and trust. But if Jason over here is a peer of mine and he's acting like an asshole, I can go have a conversation with him and say, hey, Jason, like, mm, what's going on? And you can start off soft with that conversation of like, hey, this is not your normal behavior and you're really upsetting and bothering people like what's happening. And then you can navigate through that conversation at that at that level of, of a peer and saying, hey, like, that's not appropriate. And even though Jason doesn't report to me, I can still say, hey, like, pull it back. This isn't right. Let's let's work through this together. I'm here for you. Let's let's help him. And if you come to the table with kindness and candor, people generally want to do good. They want to be better. And at first they might get a little bit defensive, but if you know how to communicate with Jason and you're able to effectively communicate that message, most of the time they will be able to sit back understand what's going on and they will probably end up appreciating and valuing you. And then it's just, it becomes this, this flywheel effect of, okay, now it's, now it's Sally. Got to go have a tough conversation with, with Sally. And then John over here. And as a, a leader without a title, you can still inspire and influence all the people around you if you're willing to step up and do it. But that's scary. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you have to, um, you have to have the the confidence that if it and and comfort with conflict, right? There's so many variables to what kind of conflict people are comfortable with. Some people think just speaking up to say anything is conflict. Other people are like hollering and they're like, "Well, that's how that's how it was. Like we were a loud family, right?" So yeah, that. But but that's another topic <laughs> um, in terms of that. But to be the to the upstander is what you're describing. You have to then have the, you you probably are leading by example. You probably already have that natural leadership ability, even if you don't have the title. And sometimes, I mean, it go. We've you've heard it probably before, but feedback is a gift. Anytime somebody tells you something, gives you that really honest feedback, that is a gift because everyone is saying it. That person just respected you enough and cared about you enough to say it to your face, right? So as you described Jason, probably everyone in the workplace is talking about what Jason said, but the one person who goes to Jason and say, hey, I'm not sure you you knew the impact of what your statement was, um, but I think you might've hurt some feelings. So I just wanted, just wanted you to know that, right? Jason may have no idea because no one's ever given him that feedback before. And he'd be like, what? I've been making that joke for years, right? Um, say, well, I don't think it went over well. I just wanted to let you know, right? So um, because we don't like conflict. People generally don't like conflict. So then they won't, even from a leadership and management perspective, they may not even say something to the Jason. Um, and then... And it just goes under the rug until it's like Aladdin's rug because there's so much swept under it. And now you have a toxic employee or a legacy employee or somebody who really needs to something addressed because leadership over time haven't taken, taken care of it. So if you have those you know, champions who can do that, even with informal leadership or leadership of self um, and leading by example, champion those right? Celebrate those, recognize them for their, for what they, what they do in teams. Cause that's how you want to grow that the accountability piece. One of the, going back to your, um, the original, um, uh, piece about accountability. One of the things that I go back to, um, cause this is even, even when we think we're super accountable as leaders, um, uh, probably 50% of the time we're not because we're busy or this, or they're almost there, or it's too much of a conversation, right? So the best of intentions, but there's probably there's probably a lot of times we all do and with my coaching clients um if they're if they're bringing something up a few times you know okay this person did this again i'm like okay so and so what was what was the recourse what was the accountability right well you know this or that okay so what will it be next time right because it the tone and culture and expectations comes from the top it comes from the leader so if you're not holding them accountable generally because they're probably also busy doing a million other things they they're like well Leslie's not going to follow up 
so I'm all good. Or if she does follow up and I tell her I'm not done, she's not going to do anything about it, right? So, but if if they know, okay, when Leslie follows up in two weeks or I have to follow up at a meeting in two weeks and I will be called to task to, to tell everyone where I am, um, I'm going to have to have an answer. So sometimes that peer-based accountability works, but also when you are meeting, then what is the recourse? What is the accountability? And are you keeping them accountable? Right. And are you, I know you modeling that yourself by staying accountable to what you say you'll do, right? Cause it's a two way street. If you're not accountable as a leader, it's really hard. It'll be really hard to get your team to understand that it's important. Yeah. A quote came to mind as you were talking through that and, and it's culture is shaped by the worst behavior tolerated by leadership. 100%. Yeah. And that goes back to when about halfway when you asked me about toxic environments is if you have something that is tolerated, whether it is a leader of a service unit or someone in a service unit, everyone knows people from other areas, the leader, the higher leadership, everyone knows it's there. So someone has to address it or else it will, in the words of Gary Vee, it will spread, right? And that's what we want to avoid. So, um, but it is, and the, the senior leadership can tell you all they want what the culture's like. I see this all the time. They'll tell, this is what culture, this is what our culture's like, right? And the, but it, culture comes from the bottom up, right? So they're going to show you what the culture is, even if you're telling them what it is. So, um, so it's, and sometimes what happens is folks at the top don't get the real story because people manage up, right? And so they have to be, even though it, it, does fall to them to know what's happening in their organization and really keep an eye out for it and trends and turnover and listening and observing. Um, sometimes they're so insulated from it because potentially people are managing up and they're not getting the real stories, which I think is very, it can be a huge tragic tragedy for many organizations that don't see it happening here and can't address it because they don't even know it's there. Yeah, that that is an issue that I've seen quite a bit over the years, especially, we'll say, in the ivory tower where the C-suite executives sit and maybe they're surrounded by presidents and vice presidents that are bubbling up information that might not be entirely accurate in an effort to cover their own butts and issues. Like, oh, well, we keep having this turnover. Oh, well somebody quit and started their own business and they're poaching all of our people. Okay. Well, the people are in reality open to leaving because the workplace culture is toxic and you're not addressing complaints that are coming through. And so I think it, it is very important for leaders wherever they're at in the hierarchy to have open and honest and candid conversations with every single person they can in their organization. And yes, leaders get very, very busy, but part of your role as a leader is to have those conversations with every person you can so that you can have that holistic understanding of what's truly going on instead of being insulated. What? Yes. Um, one of the great practices that I see um, in some of the organizations that I work with, and again, these are some of the more progressive and like they really want to know what's going on in their organization um, are a lot of like skip level by a number of levels. So they'll have skip level meetings and, and they may not be often and they may not be, um, you know, you know, there might not be a, an abundance of them, but there's enough that it's a practice that many levels get to talk to many different levels. And, and in those, they do get some nuggets because the senior, the senior leaders will have to read between the lines because there's not many people who are going to put their neck on the line and say, well, this is what my boss did, which was terrible. Um, but listening between the lines and unpacking what they think is being said and then starting to notice, right? But again, that takes a leader that really wants to move their organization forward and really wants to understand because it's so much easier to just not see it, right? And so, and so that's how it ends up staying. 
Okay. All right. We're nearing the hour marker on here. Leslie, such an incredible conversation. So good, Sean. I, I actually, it's been, it's been way too long. I know we had a few conversations a couple of years yes. ago and they were just so motivating and inspiring and you've got such great content out there. What is one thing that you would like to leave the listeners with? Oh my goodness. Um, I always say like, whatever you're, if anytime you're out there, reading about leadership, thinking about leadership. If you're on LinkedIn, I share a lot of stuff about leadership. There's a lot of leadership like YouTube. There's this, there's books. If you are really as a leader taking note of where, of your own self-awareness, where your hot buttons are, where, what, what stops you? What are the inner blocks and outer blocks that stop you from being your best self, the best version of you? The more you know that, and then you can build your resiliency, build your um, ability to respond rather than react in the moment, um, really emotionally self-manage, then you are moving yourself ahead. As leaders, I feel, leaders of our own lives, you know, and, and in the lives of others, I feel that's the greatest gift that you can give because then you are, you are the constant you are consistent, you're emotionally self-regulated because you need to manage and lead your people. They don't need to be reacting to you, right? So uh, if the more you can do as a leader on your own inner growth, the stronger leader you will be and the better results you will get. That's beautiful. Self-awareness and the ability to lead yourself. It's, it's so crucial for those of us in, in a leadership role. Leadership starts with the ability um, and self-awareness to positively lead ourselves, right? And so anytime you can work on your inner growth, it is going to really accelerate your outer growth, your outer success. How do people contact you? Okay, so you can go to my website, which is um, lesliecalvin.ca, pretty easy. I kept that consistent. Just remember it's Leslie with an E-Y. So that's the less, less common Leslie, so Leslie, uh, L-E-S-L-E-Y, or um, my email is lesliecalvincoaching at gmail.ca. I'm on LinkedIn, so please connect uh, there. I love to share and engage with people. That's how Sean and I met. Um, and then I also have um, an Instagram profile, um, and it's uh, under Positive Forward Motion, which is the name of my company, Positive Forward Motion, I think, under slash Leslie. Those are the best ways to, uh, to connect with me. Okay. Leslie, thank you so much. This has been incredible. This is great. We'll have to do this again, Sean. This has been wonderful. Definitely. Look at me. I'm already okay. assuming I'll be invited back. I know. <laughs> absolutely will. We'll set it up. Yeah. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I think that is all we have for the show today. We will make sure to have all of Leslie's contact information in the show notes. If any of you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me, reach out to Leslie, and we will definitely get you guys taken care of. Thank you so much, and y'all have a good one.